0: This is where I cut my teeth at Grace Covenant. <laughs> I'm a Grace Covenant guy, but my heart is Grace Covenant sterling. Come on. Come on. I remember when they first assigned Tweedledee and Tweedledum, me and David Hermes, <laughs> to this outpost called Sterling. So like, I guess they really want me kind of far away, but little did they know that they were preparing me for a church plant through you guys. So all this setup, up, tear down, like this is what we still do. And we meet at a school much like this, and a venue just like this, like this reminds me of home, just 3,000 miles away. <laughs> um, but I dearly love your staff, uh, Eddie and Mary, uh, David and Megan, um, Jermaine and Blythe, just amazing people. Um, I haven't listed all your staff, but like these are, you guys are gifted with great staff who love you, men and women of God. Um, And it's a privilege to be back and speak here uh, years later. Um, Bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for this time. God, I just think back to the last four or five years since I've been here and all that's ensued here in this home. and Back in L.A., God, we just thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. And uh, just be with me today as I speak your word. May your children hear your voice. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, I've been given this topic, um, leadership development. We're going through the core values of this house. And um, being a church planner, I've had to think through some stuff about leadership um, development. You know, leaders are really important. The church lives or dies by her leaders. As any institution, leadership's everything. The stakes are higher with churches because we're dealing with eternal matters. And so you want the best leaders of the leaders to lead the church. And so a church lives or dies by her ability to produce good leaders. Quick, quick poll here. How many of you are leaders or aspire to be leaders here? It's a lot of you. Good. And for those of you who haven't raised your hands, you want good leaders above you, right? So I think leadership development's a topic all of us need to lean into. And the question I want to ask uh, from our text is how does God actually produce these leaders? Because typically you think leadership development looks like God choosing gifted people and putting them in, in Charles Xavier's School for the Gifted, right That type of <laughs> That's how Marvel does it, right? Uh, some sort of exalted uh, procedure, exalted pathway for gifted people. Like that's got to be leadership development. Find me a platform. Find me a mentor. Find me a class. For gifted leaders, and that's where leaderships are, are leaders, leaders are produced, leadership development's produced. But that's not what I see in Scripture. The leaders God produces are found in the daily grind, in the daily circumstances, where leaders are set apart by their everyday obedience and faithfulness. That's what I see. And so if you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel, I want to take a look at one of the premier leaders in Scripture— King David, and just take a look at kind of God how God picks him and develops him, I think we can draw some lessons about how leadership's develop through everyday uh, obedience. And so, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. 15, Saul's attendants said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. The lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord, I like how that's a qualification, is a fine-looking man, <laughs> and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who was with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He'd feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. It's the word of God. Um. I find it really interesting that verse 13 sits right side by side by uh, verse 14, because in verse 13 you have David being crowned, anointed as king, and you would think in that moment David would be plucked and put into some kind of royal academy, some sort of kingly training the very least some kind of leadership development track, like right next to the prophet or among the prophets or something, but you get to verse 14 and you have this jarring reminder that things don't change quickly. Saul's still on the throne and he's a evil demon-possessed king. So you have David who is set aside to be leader, but he still has to watch his daddy's sheep and serve a wicked king. And I don't know if any of you have wondered why am I stuck in this situation right now? Stuck in a s- setting, in a circumstance, in a rank that I feel like is below my calling, below my station, below my destiny. And yet, that's exactly where God wants to develop David as a leader that's good. in a situation where he has to just obey. So here's my first point. Everyday obedience, your current assignment, is always your most important assignment. It's really interesting because uh, in verse 13, it says the Spirit of God is on David. That's not a normal thing. We take that for granted in the New Testament side of stuff, where we're given the Holy Spirit as birthright. The moment you're saved, God's presence is in you. But back then, that was not the case. God's spirit would come on select individuals for a specific purpose in God's kingdom, and David had the spirit of God. And where did the spirit lead David? Back to the sheep pen, into the courts of Saul. And when you read David's life, you don't hear of any pushback, any resentment. Think about this. David's head is still wet with oil. And his daddy says, now go back and take that anointing and go watch my sheep. In chapter 17, by this time, so scholars think David was crowned around 10 years old. Uh, five, six years later, he's, he's a bucking teenager and he's about to face Goliath. And you read kind of the context in chapter 17, the chapter where David faces Goliath. In verse 14, you, you get his current context. Five years later, this is what David's still doing. Verse 14, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So it's not like he was just assigned back to sheep for a couple of months. But from 10 to 15 to 16, five, six years of adolescence... He's still watching his daddy's sheep and playing the banjo in Saul's court. (laughs) Now, if I was given that task, if I knew I'm supposed to be king, and my platform is pasture and sheep and baa and banjo playing, I know how I would approach it. I'd give it maybe 10% of my time and effort. (laughs) The whole time I'm watching sheep, I'm thinking about what cape am I going to wear? Is it velour? silk Uh, what commands will I what edicts will I pronounce to get back at my sarcastic rude brothers who make me fetch water for them King David go fetch me my beer or something like that right whatever their version of beer was fermented ale whatever I would be thinking of ways I'm going to be king not how to serve my daddy's sheep And play my lyre in the court. But but then you read how uh, David approached his current assignment. You skip to verse 34. David's talking to Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Yikes. Listen, as much as I respect my daddy, if I know I'm supposed to be king and I see a lion show up, my like, daddy, you have a couple less sheep today. <laughs> There's no way I am going to risk my calling as leader and squander my time and, and risk my, my health, my future, in killing a lion or bear with my bare hands. It's not happening. But David applied all his anointing, all his passion, all his skill in his current assignment. Why? And not just that, if I was hired, I'd be like, Daddy, thank you for... Uh, letting me go and, and, and play for this evil king. Thank you for signing me up for that, because that's I, now I get to see the throne I can't sit on it. Great. And if I'm going to have to play, I would play bad. I would mess up my chords. I'd try to get fired. But David played so well that demons fleed. I don't know what kind of music that is. But well, can you imagine a musician so gifted? Maybe it's like listening to Bach or like, I mean, that's classical music, but you know, pick your artist of choice. Just the music's so powerful that it shifts the atmosphere. Yeah. David played that. I mean, he basically endeared himself to a wicked king through his gifted playing. And you gotta ask why. Like, David, why? You know who you're supposed to be. Why would you waste your talent and your time to do these things so well? Because in his everyday obedience, God was giving him the critical skills to step into his destiny. Because guess what David was doing as he was watching sheep? He was thinking, well, if I'm going to have to do this, I'm going to be the best dang shepherd on these hills of Palestine. And as a young boy watching sheep, he would have practiced what shepherds do, which is taking rocks and by setting up uh, bottles or whatever they had, clay flasks, and just, just aiming, just aiming, just aiming. Ancient scholars say that, uh, or scholars of ancient times say that um, the the sling produced enough velocity that it had the stopping power of a modern handgun. And the really skilled ones can take birds in mid-flight. This guy is perfecting this day in, day out, not knowing how that skill would come handy, but just doing it because he was called to do it. And then whatever else time he had, just playing scales. (laughs) And singing his heart out. And then guess what God does with that? He's facing a 10-foot-plus giant that he cannot take by strength. There's only one way a young boy can take down a giant. It's with a sling. It's with a sling. Now, Saul doesn't realize that. He's looking at the size of David thinking, I'm going to have to help this guy out. Here's my armor. And David says, no, I'm not used to that. Here's another clue about leadership development. And destiny is that when you get to your destiny, you only bring in what you have. Yeah. You don't get to choose to be Elon Musk when <laughs> the time comes. You can't just invent skills out of thin air when you're called to draw on them. It's something you develop over time with excellence. And, and your current assignment, you don't realize what God's doing, but he's got something to equip you with in your current assignment if you do it with excellence and diligence. David had no idea that this would be the entrance into his future. What are your five stones? What's your sling? Because if David loafed through that time, how would he take down a giant? And if David screwed up the scales on purpose, played bad, never practiced, and said, I'm not going to play for an evil king, would he have written the Psalms and set the music for a kingdom? The fastest way for you to be the leader you're called to be to take on the destiny you're called to take on is to approach your current assignment as the assignment from God and do it with excellence and do it with diligence. Doesn't Paul say, Colossians three, twenty-three to 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Second lesson from David: In everyday obedience, character determines capacity. Character determines capacity, and as you know, uh, God picked David not because of his outward appearance and his skill, but because of David's heart. And that's what he focuses on. Something you know uh, you have to come to know about platforms and thrones is that that's the worst place to develop leaders. When you're on a throne, and every single one of your whims are met by a a group of servants, it's hard to develop patience. When you need to serve the king at the risk of death, immediately and perfectly, how does that king develop patience or long-suffering? When you have absolute power, how do you develop integrity? No one can check you or challenge you. And so all the character development for David happens off the throne. So David kills Goliath. You would think, okay, now put him in the academy. No. There'd be a good 13 years of being chased through a desert before David ever sniffs the throne. Because there was a seminary that David had to go through in the desert to teach David the right heart to be the kind of uh, king that God wanted him to be. God cares more about your character than your promotion. There are gifted people everywhere. And some of them get promoted too fast, and you see what happens to them. But if you have a man or woman of character, God will elevate you the right way in the right time. You all see the movie Karate Kid? Um, it's a good movie. And basically, there's this, there's this young punk, uh, young kid who... Um, who is getting beat up somewhere and, and, uh, and this guy, Mr. Miyagi, steps in and kung fu's everybody and, and uh, I'm like one of the few Asians that don't know any martial arts. <laughs> but he does something and all the, all the thugs melt away and uh, Ralph Macchio, he's the actor, he's like, I gotta learn from this guy. And so he finds Mr. Miyagi in some junkyard and, and wants Mr. Miyagi to develop him as a leader of martial arts. <laughs> And what does Mr. Miyagi do? He, he points him to a car, hands him a couple sponges, and he says, wax on, wax off. And there is Ralph buffing Mr. Miyagi's cars, thinking, he's just using me. What is this? But Mr. Miyagi is looking for character. He doesn't want to just train any young punk. He's thinking, does this guy, will this guy submit? Will he say yes to me? Is he serious about this? And what's kind of cool is that there's muscle memory involved. So this becomes some sort of kung fu defense when, when the tournament come, comes around, right? Like, I don't know. How, I don't think this is legit, but somehow wax on, wax off adds to uh, Ralph Machu's arsenal of kung fu moves. Listen, God will sometimes hand you two sponges. You're going to have to wax on, wax off sometimes. And maybe it's not glorifying. Maybe you're like, how does this add up to my leadership? But here's what God's asking. Will you submit? Will you listen? Will you do what I ask you to do? Because if you won't do it in the humble things, you certainly won't do it when you're glorified. And there's spiritual muscle memory the way you fight for faith in these circumstances, the way you fight against temptation when the stakes are lower, the way that you do this and do this in your humility and your servanthood, all of that you're going to have to draw upon when the stakes are higher and the stage is bigger. If you are in circumstances you don't like, and you're serving people you don't like, and you're doing things you don't like, God's not interested necessarily in your promotion in that moment. What he's asking is, is my glory safe in your hands? Can I trust you? Do you have the character to hold up the glory I will one day give you? And I will wait till you do, because I read this quote from uh, Pastor Donnell's Facebook. Even her Facebook's anointed. She writes, it's a dangerous thing to allow your gift to take you to a place where your character can't keep you. Let me read that again. It's a dangerous thing to allow your gift to take you to a place where your character can't keep you. So God's going to have you sometimes wax on and wax off run you through a desert, have you do things that might not be your station yet in your, mitt, in your brain, but God's doing something in the waxing on and the waxing off that we are called to learn. And remember, if you think the circumstances are what's stopping you from your position, your leadership, it's not. Because Joseph spent much of his life enslaved and in prison before he was exalted as the right hand of Pharaoh. Moses, you know his circumstances. Refugee, murderer, old man by the time he's called, but didn't stop Moses' calling. Apostle Paul, a professional Christian persecutor and killer, becomes the foremost missionary. Jesus, the Son of God, is slain. That's exactly what God needed to save the world. God is a master at taking circumstances and using it for your good. Isn't that a promise from the Bible? And so don't worry about your circumstance. That can't stop you. It's a character. God moves at the pace of your character. And when you want to outpace your character, that's not God anymore, that's something else. Wax on, wax off. It's a good thing. And then, third and last, in everyday obedience, the mundane becomes an altar. The mundane becomes an altar. David is known as the most passionate worshiper in all the scripture. How did he get there? And if you think about this, so much of the Psalms are, now the Psalms, much of the Psalms, it's the the worship book of the Jews and and of the church. uh, And much of those were written by David. And if you read them, so much of it has to do with creation. So he writes, "When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them?" And he just waxes poetic about the stars. Where did he get that from? Not in the palace. The palace has a roof. He gazed at the stars while he was a shepherd boy, or while he was on the run in the desert. When he talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, that passage has helped us. He did not learn that in the palace. There's no sheep in there. He learned that as a shepherd boy. When he says God is my deliverer and my shield, I guarantee he did not learn that safely ensconced on a throne. He learned that running away from Saul, begging God for, for protection while he hid in caves. All this to say that David's most profound, deep, spiritual, worshipful moments came in the pain, in the suffering, in the hardships. But David had this unique skill of turning caves and pastures and spots under trees into altars. Listen, This might be a weird point for leadership development. It's more like a worship talk. But can I tell you, what the world needs is not another TED talk. It needs anointed leaders who exude God from his or her pores. If you have the presence and power of God, you will lead in any station, in any circumstance. And David had this way of pulling God down into every circumstance of his messed up, broken life. And turn them into altars. And that's what made David so great. Not that he was such a great warrior or such a great king. David is enshrined as a man after God's own heart, which then influenced his throne and his battles. But David was a worshiper, a guy who loved God, was able to practice God's presence in in mundane, if not broken, places. There's a guy uh, from the 1600s named Brother Lawrence Brother Lawrence uh, was uh, someone who um, gave his life to God and, and wanted to give it so fully, he entered the monastery. And because he was such a novice, he was just coming off the streets, you start from the very bottom, you wash dishes and sweep the floors. And you would think, how do you express leadership there? But this dude, he had so much of God, even washing dishes, I think this was France, All these people would come to watch Brother Lawrence wash dishes because the presence of God shone on his face. This is a true story. You can look him up. This guy was leading by scrubbing dishes and worshiping God. The the village would come to watch him and learn from him. And he writes this little book. It's a classic. And he talked about three principles he uses to practice the presence of God in the mundane, banal details of life. And here are the the three things that he writes. Uh, He says he says this. First, uh, be submitted fully to where God has you. He submitted himself fully to where God has him. Because you can't invite God into situations you don't trust him for. Places you don't submit, you can't pull God in. Because there's a rebellion. There's a resistance. There's, God, you made a mistake. I don't belong here. So wherever you're at, say, God, I'm here. You put me here. I'm going to lean into you, God, and fully submit and figure out what you want to do with me here. That's the first thing he did. He submitted fully to where God has him, which is sweep the floor, wipe the dishes. Second, once he submitted, he reframed his motivation. I'm not doing this for the monastery leaders. I'm not doing this for higher-ranking monks. I'm not doing this to climb the monk ladder, whatever that was. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm going to make this an act of worship. I'm going to worship him when I sweep. I'm going to worship him while I rub. I'm going to worship him as I fling stones. I'm going to worship him as I pull sheep. I'm going to worship him through this. He is my motivation, not my boss. And then third, he practiced the presence of God. He actually practiced it, which meant, talking to God, involving God, sharing his feelings about God all the time throughout the day where it wasn't like, okay, I need to shut God off while I sweep and broom and get bitter. But God, be in the sweeping and be in the washing. That's the mark of a leader, by the way, in the church at least. And it's something you can't teach in an academy. It's carved out here in these mundane, banal situations where you develop an instinct to seek God at all times and bring God into the moment. If you worship needs smoke and lasers and 15 people up on stage, and that's an anointed moment. I mean, I was at the ENC conference, a thousand kids jumping up and down, incredibly gifted worship leaders. You got smoke and lasers and giant words on a screen, and it just blows your mind, and it's awesome. But if you need that to be in God's presence... You're going to mean God's presence once a year. <laughs> but leaders lead because they can pull God down in any given moment and hear from God, know God, and have God influence others through them. And Brother Lawrence and Brother David, they found a way to find God in weird places. We spend a lot of our lives doing the grind in commutes, in cars, behind a computer pushing a stroller, burping a baby in conversations, in social settings. And if you need 15 people on a stage to find God, where will God be in all those moments for you? David found a way to practice the presence of God. Just, God, where are you here now in this moment? And, he, and, and Brother Lawrence was so filled with God that a crowd drew around him to soak in God from him. What if your leadership is not in, on the platform yet? It doesn't involve picking up an instrument or speaking from this, this platform, but what if it's pushing a stroller and you meet other moms or you're sitting across from someone at happy hour or you you lean back and there's a coworker in the same room as you. And what if it's in that moment you are to exude God, so that they go, "Hey," and you do that enough, you do that consistently, God will promote you. He will promote you. So practicing the presence of God, submit to where you are now. Reframe your motivation. Practice His presence. How does God grow? Leaders, it's in the everyday. It's everyday obedience. People who make their current assignment their most important. People who make their character determine their capacity. And finally, people who take the mundane and turn them into altars. Which means all y'all can be leaders. (laughs) Every single one of you. Maybe not in the way of the Charles Xavier School of the Gifted, but I think in the way that God develops leaders. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me.